Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. New Year, 2020, can we give him a shout? Yeah. Thank you so much for your faithfulness this past week. We, along with our family and 80 nations around the world, uh, experienced God's grace in the moment of fasting and praying in the entire week and we were all together on conference calls three times a day culminating in a night of worship last Friday how many were on the calls praying fasting came out to the night of worship yeah a lot less lighter this week (laughs) going without food but I want to thank you it was a tremendous moment um, just to do that and the Friday night moment, I was in um, Iowa with the University of Maryland men's basketball team, so Pastor Rich was texting me pictures, and I could see the moment, and it was really great. And um, it, was, it was really good, but I wanted to also, all of our parents, where are the parents? If you're a parent, would you stand? Y'all are parents. All right. To the parents, especially those who were there. Uh, I want to, I let you know that I accept personal responsibility for the protection, the, the care, and the growth of our children. And Friday night, we didn't have child care, so you came there and you had to be out in the lobby. You didn't get to enjoy So for that. I am very sorry. And any parents who weren't here, will you please forgive me? You want to think about it? Yes? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. <clears throat> and we're going to pray for our kids in a moment. Um, Our transition to this new facility was intended to be um, after the renovation, which we learned would be like January of 2021 or spring of 2021. So we would be in the hotel for about another year. And um, by the grace of God, it just seemed, uh, the wisdom of God as our leadership team began to speak, don't wait a year after the renovations, move in now. And so it needs some upgrades. And uh, so you're seeing that. But when we were there February, it needs some upgrading in the HVAC systems. So we'll have some estimates tomorrow, and we're going to make some changes to the facility before we have our first service there on February 9th. Good? So that the the facility is adequate for our children and, and everyone else being in that space. But I'm excited about the move, but be gracious. And on February 2nd, we're going to have a family moment, which has the focus for parents and children. So all of you parents who stood, and there'll be an announcement, we are going to discuss what does it look like for us to be responsible to the generation that God has entrusted to us. Amen? So whether they're toddlers or infants or teens, wherever they are, Marianne, our youngest, is 19 now, so we're going to be a part of that moment and talk about the different stages of parenting and what that looks like, uh, bring pictures from our kids, and learning how to do what you've got questions about. So that'll be part of that moment. Good? All right. You excited? Okay, very good. Father, I thank you for this great family. Uh, for all you have done, we say thank you in 2019, and we, th- we look forward with expectation to this new year, 2020. Touch our hearts today while we're here. God, make us one with you. Strengthen us, I pray. Bless our children the generation that you've entrusted to us, may they be those who know God from their youth, who call on your name, who follow you, and influence the generation of their peers to follow you so that we see cultural change and shift. We believe these things because you have the power to do it. Amen. All right. 
Stand with me as we uh, read together. In the month of January, our focus is prayer. Today, the emphasis is being with him in prayer. So I'd like us to read together out loud from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Let's read together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Amen. Father, we thank you for your words. They are life-giving. Help us receive them fully. Amen. Please be seated. Luke is inspired when he writes these words. He is a trained physician. He's a historian. He's very meticulous when it comes to details. He's written two books. The Gospel, according to Luke, a passage we just read is from that book. And his second book is Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, sometimes called the Acts of uh, the Apostles, Peter, James, John, and the others. In the very beginning of his second book, Acts, he makes reference to the first book that we just read from. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In my former book, referring to the one we just read from, in my former book, Theophilus, that's who he was writing to, I began to write about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So then we have a window of his focus in the first book, the one we just read from. And Luke chapter 10 is the middle third of that book. And that's where he begins to express things that Jesus began to teach. Now, what was Jesus teaching? He was teaching his way, the way of the Lord, the way of life. And when we talk about prayer, prayer is not merely an activity that we check the box and say, I prayed this morning. Prayer for us who are followers of Jesus is actually a way of life. It is the way of being with him. And in Luke chapter 9 through Luke chapter 10, there are moments, we'll highlight the one we just read, but Jesus along with his followers, they are journeying together to Jerusalem. And he is speaking to at least three groups here. Uh, he is sending followers, 72 in total. He's engaging experts, a lawyer, and he is visiting friends. The passage we just read is about friends, three siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And we'll come to that in a moment. But we want to at least have the context for what Luke is saying in this passage. Jesus is teaching. It's good to be taught by Jesus, is it not? And he's teaching the way of life. So as we look at this, we go first to sending the 72. It's very important to note that Jesus calls men and women, boys and girls, to follow him. And those who he calls to follow him, he also sends 
to speak or preach or herald about him and about the kingdom. Every person called to follow is also called to go. Every man or woman who follows is also sent. Every person. The question of whether you're called to go is not a question. It's merely a function of who you're called to be. And so he sends the 72 on a journey, on a mission, to every place that he himself is about to go. And in the beginning of Luke chapter 10, they're returning from that journey, and they come back with excitement and enthusiasm. In fact, they say to him, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And demons are angels who have fallen away from God. And they were so excited. And Jesus celebrates also, but he also makes it a teaching moment. He says, I have given you authority. In other words, this ability to exercise authority over the demonic activity in people's lives does not spring from you. It comes from me. And it is because you are not doing as much as you are being with me. And the being with me, that way of life, leads to the activity that flows. Isn't that important to understand? In fact, he goes on and says, rejoice not because the demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in my book. I know you've signed your name in many places and your name is written in many places, but the one place you want your name to be written is in the book of life. That is the one place with all certainty. If my name is written nowhere else, and if no other human being knows of your existence, may your name be written in eternity that God himself knows you and calls you by name. You don't want to be found to be a stranger at the end of your life, having been known and famous by people. So this is what he's saying to them. It's so important, the sending. One commentator says more about it, but I'll move on to the next segment, which is engaging experts. And this is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. We won't read it, but it's a moment where an expert in the law, an attorney, if you will, a lawyer who knew the law of God, stands up and questions Jesus. He says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many desire to inherit eternal life? He's asking the right person. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And then Jesus responds by saying, what does the law say? How do you read it? In other words, he recognized that the man appealing or asking a question of him was himself a student of the law. And so he turned him back to the very place he'd studied and said, you know the law, what does it say? And the young attorney or old attorney, I don't know his age, it doesn't say, but he responded by saying, you shall love the Lord your God, love him with all your heart, love him with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And that could have been the end of it, but it says the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell the very famous story of what we call now the Good Samaritan. And uh, most of us are familiar with that. But I want you to hear what one commentator had to say about this perspective. Eternal life is something to be inherited. And to receive an inheritance, you have to be an heir. No amount of doing will make you into one. Keeping the law is a way of life. It is not a way to life. The attorney, the lawyer, was asking about the way to life. And Jesus said, I need to teach you about the way of life, not the way to life. You can't, by keeping the law, get to life. The Bible says that no one, by keeping the law, will find favor with God. 
Aren't you glad that the only way to receive eternal life is by inheritance? You must be a son. You must be a daughter. You can't earn an inheritance. It's given by virtue of you being a son or daughter. Amen? So he's teaching about the way of life. So then that brings us to this moment. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He has sent out the 72. They've returned. He is engaged, uh, an expert on the law, and he's still talking about the way of life. And now prayer is also a way of life. And while this specific lesson doesn't speak about prayer, it has principles that relate to it. In this moment, he's on his way to Bethany. That's the name of the village that Luke doesn't name. And when he arrives there, Martha welcomes him into his home. As she does, it's not just Jesus, it's the disciples who are with him. I don't know the total number, but hospitality was very much a part of the Jewish culture. And so she had to make preparations. I mean, that's groceries, that's food, that's space for everybody to live and sleep. How many of you know what it's like at Thanksgiving or Christmas when family comes into town? I've been told stories by some of you in this room about when your relatives come into town and they stay and day one is great, day two, day three, and you're like, okay, we need, we need a little space here. They've been here a little while. But, but you go out of your way to make sure everything is perfect for them. And so Martha had welcomed them into her home, and on one occasion, it says that she was distracted with all their preparations. Anyone here in this moment or at any other moment ever experience a degree of distraction in your life? Being drawn away, uh, being caught up uh, with something or someone other than him. And I don't know what exactly was going on in the moment, but it says from Scripture that Mary, Martha's sister, was actually seated at the feet of Jesus. That refers to a posture of receptivity. She was listening to his words. There is no better place than to find ourselves seated at the feet of Jesus, learning of him, learning from him, being taught by him. And this needs to be a regular practice. This is the way of life. She's there sitting. Martha, however, is distracted at the same moment, and she is desiring help. Uh, The scripture says that she was actually worried and bothered or upset about so many things. And she sees her sister sitting there. We don't know how many other people were at that moment sitting, whether it was just Jesus and Mary or Jesus, Mary, and other followers of Jesus. But we do know that Martha went into that moment. And I just asked questions. I mean, if she needed help, couldn't she just go to, Ma- to Mary herself and say, hey, sis, come here, I need your help. She actually goes to Jesus, and I don't know why. I mean, think about it. If you want your siblings' attention. You guys grew up together. You, you know how to communicate very effectively with one another. You don't even need words. You can look at someone and say, hey, heads up. She could have just stepped into that room and said, Mary, come here. I need your help. Or she could have walked up and said, Jesus, excuse me. Mary, I need your help. Can you help? I need your help. But she doesn't go to Mary, and I don't know why. She comes into the space, and she says, Jesus. And here's what she says. Don't you care? Now, first of all, <laughs> to ask Jesus if he cares reflects something about our humanity, but gives me great joy that he's willing to stay with us who ask questions that don't really measure who he is in any way. Does he not care? He cares more than any person who's ever been on the planet. But she says, don't you care that my sister 
has left me to do the work all by myself. Now that right there, I don't know if Mary was in hearing when she said it, but if she heard it, she probably looked sideways at her sister because she probably felt like, you just threw me under the donkey. I'd say bus, but they didn't have buses. Donkey was the mode of transportation. <laughs> you just threw me under the donkey, girl. What are you talking about? And then she tells Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. Now you can imagine Jesus in that moment saying, oh, it's okay, Mary, look, go help her. You can come back later. We can pick up where we left off. But he doesn't. He addresses the greatest need in Martha at that moment. He looks at her and he says her name two times, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things. You're worried and you are bothered about so many things. You're caught up with things rather than caught up with me. Anybody here just willing to acknowledge you are worried and bothered about so many things? And then he says, listen, only a few things are really important. Only a few things. There are things that are important. Then he says, really, really, only one. And he says this, Mary has chosen what is better. It helps me understand something. I'm learning from Jesus as he is teaching this family something. He's saying distraction is the result of not choosing what is better. Anytime we experience distraction, it's only because it's the result of not choosing what is better. It says Mary chose what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, she could have been just as easily caught up as her sister, probably was at times, but this time she chose what was better. What? Being with him sitting at his feet, listening to his word. And I tell you, when the word of God begins to enter your heart, enter your soul, there's a repose that comes over you. There's a quietness. There's a calm. Even in the middle of the storm, there's peace will enter into you. And it doesn't mean that the other things that are important go away, but it means when you address them, you are now address them from a place of peace rather than being filled with anxiety and worry. And you make your best decisions, not when you're filled with worry, but when you're filled with peace. Not when you're filled with fear, but when you're filled with wisdom. And she's sitting at his feet, listening to the word, and he addresses Martha, and hopefully it brings healing to her soul. How many would say, I know there are things I'm worried about and bothered about. And Jesus says, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but you need to choose what is better. I want to give you some things to do and to think about this in the way of prayer. We've been praying and fasting throughout this week, and we're going to choose to continue praying this week. We're going to open up the prayer lines and pray three times a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just like we did last week. Monday morning, 7 a.m., uh, then 7 p.m., then 9 p.m., same thing Tuesday, same thing Wednesday, same thing Thursday, then Friday morning we're going to pray at 7 a.m., and then 7 p.m. will be the final prayer. We won't have a 9 p.m., and at 7 p.m. we'll meet at the church office. That conference room holds about 25 to 30 people, so all of you who went to the, the, the place on Friday night won't fit there. So we are going to have the conference line open. You can still call in and pray. Sound good? How many ready to pray again this week? And this time... This time, if you want to fast this week, you can choose to fast, but we're not fasting. We're just praying. Somebody said, oh, God, thank you. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
You can eat before you pray and after you pray, right? But if you want to fast, you can do that too. Here's some things. And then we're going to have a moment where we pray together for and with one another. But write these down. Number one, be more ready to listen than to speak. With respect to praying, being with him, when you come to be with him, be more ready to listen than to speak. So often prayer for us seems more like us talking and wanting God to do the listening. When what he has to say is probably most important. And after we hear from him, we probably will then know what it is that we need to think and say to ourselves and to others. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1, that's where this comes from. Be more ready to listen than to speak. Some of us, when it comes to prayer, we are like, I don't even know what to say. That's fine. Just come and listen. Sit at his feet and listen. Listen to him. Be with him while you're reading the Bible. Be with him while you're sitting quietly reading the Word. And write down the things and impressions that come to your mind and heart. And trust that he's beginning to speak with you and to you. Amen? Number two, be present with him. Why? Because he's present with you. Be present with him. In other words, be with him in that moment. Don't just say, oh, it's time to pray, but actually let your heart come to be with him in that moment. Um, there's uh, uh, the late uh, Evie Hill, who's a great pastor. Uh, you can look him up online. Um, there was a moment where he talked about being overwhelmed in his soul, and he was having a moment and probably just challenged in many ways as we are. And he opened his Bible to Psalm 23, a very famous psalm. And it begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. And he tells a story about how when he opened that psalm, he said three words. He read, he said, the Lord is. And he stopped right there. Amen. He just stopped. He, his soul just embraced the fact, wherever he was in that moment, that God is. Sometimes your prayer is simply God is. The Lord is. Whatever follows, great. But the fact that you just pause to recognize he is. He is. He is present. And you get to be present with him. Have you found yourself sometimes so distracted that you've forgotten he's present in that moment? And you just need to say, Lord, you're here. You're present right now. And I'm pausing just to let my soul acknowledge the Lord is. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's faithful. But even before there's some descriptive, the fact that he exists is enough for me to be quiet in my soul and say, the Lord is. And that's what Evie said. Begin to shift the climate in his soul. Amen? So you need to be able to be present with him because he's present with you. Thirdly, be quiet. Learn to be quiet. Learn to take 60 seconds of silence. Learn to just... Stop talking. And when we go into moments like this and weddings and other meetings, there's usually some announcement at the beginning of that college graduation where they say, please silence your phones. And the reason for silencing your phones is so it's not a distraction to you or anyone else or to the presenters. And there are times when you need to get before God and you need to just silence your soul. Don't let your own soul disturb you or distract you. One of the things that you have to do is practice 
quieting your soul. It is not something that happens automatically, and so you can be discouraged when you sit down to pray because you feel like your mind and your heart and soul are all racing, and there's so many thoughts going through your mind. So what I've learned to do at times when I'm distracted is to open up my book, whatever I write in, a journal, and as the important things, some of them go through my mind, I just write it down so I don't have to think about it in that moment so that I can remain focused on what is best, being with him. So you just take notes. I'm going to get to that. That's a responsibility I have. I'm not going to neglect that. List those things. Then I'm going to set it aside and train my soul to be quiet and to listen to his voice and let, like water running over a rock, I'm going to let his word run over my soul and fill it. Amen? How many say I need help practicing being quiet? Yeah, you got to do it. You have to be intentional in doing that. Um, Part of what you want to do... Psalm 62 says it this way, my soul waits in silence for God only. You know, Jesus modeled this, and he wasn't doing it just to model it. He would get up early in the morning. He would go to a quiet place. I want you to find your quiet place. It may be a place in your home. Your quiet place might be a walk through your neighborhood. Your quiet place might be the stairwell on your 15-minute break where you go out and you know people don't use a stairwell and you just sit there and you learn to say, for the next 15 minutes, I'm going to quiet my soul and I'm going to be with the person of rest because God says, if, if you lack rest, come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest is not a vacation because you can go on vacation and come back and feel like you need rest. Rest is the presence of the Lord coming on you. And the culture in which we live, the pace in which we live, the speed of our technology keeps us amped all the time. And so you need to actually say, I'm, I'm unplugging. And so find a place, hit the power button on your phone, turn it off. Some of us will go through withdrawals the first time we do this. Literally, you'll have a reaction that your phone is there and you'll think, I'm missing, I'm missing, I'm missing. It's only because that's become a reflex. Some of us in this room grew up, grew up without these devices and we did fine. We did fine. We had pagers. And there were no words. It just went beep, beep, beep. And you just look at it like, all right, let me find a public phone. You pulled over. Some of you don't know what public phones are. There's this little phone booth. You can go to the Natural History Museum. They may have it there. Or the American Museum. American History. But isn't it something that we've come to believe that we can't live separated from this? When the truth is we can't live separated from him. If only he were as attached to us as these devices. He is actually more so. So you need to shut your devices down. You need to go to a quiet place. You need to tell people, I'm unavailable right now. And you just sit at his feet and you listen to his words. And you're amazed at the calm and the peace that comes over you. Amen. Here's the last one. Be thankful. Psalm 100 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. When you begin to express thanks to God, write it down speak it out of your mouth. It alters something in you. You move from a place of not giving thanks. You move from a place of, if you're there, despair, or if you're in the place of complaining. It's easy to complain. It requires no effort. It's often a reflex. 
But to give thanks is actually a choice. And you can do it. You can just begin to say, Lord, thank you for being with me. Everybody just say that. Lord, thank you for being with me. Say it again. Yeah, that's what you do. And you just thank my Lord. Lord, thank you for being with me. Thank you for strengthening me. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me strength. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for giving me peace. Thank you for helping me in my place of employment and work. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for rescuing me. Thank you for delivering me. Thank you for setting me free from fear because fear is not just a, a, an emotion. It's a, it's a demonic entity that's present in your life and sometimes it's so close that you can't differentiate fear from yourself. But God sets you free so that fear leaves and you realize that peace stays and you realize fears and being afraid is not who you are. It's the enemy's presence. But you don't have to accept that. In the presence of God, his enemies flee. So being with him is so important. And I want to encourage parents to do this. Thank God out loud in the presence of your children, even for your children. You know, your children are being a little disobedient or unruly and everything. And let's say your child's name is Mark. And you just say, God, I just thank you for Mark, for the heart you've given him and his love for you and the call on his life that he's growing as a boy. And at his age of five, he's learning to love you. Mark would just stop and look at you like, you're talking to God about me? Absolutely. Right? Train your children that speaking to God is the way we live. That's what we did. Our kids were little. Just like, God, I just thank you for John. I thank you for Gabriella. Thank you that Micaiah is obedient. They'll be sitting there going, man, you just brought God into the equation. There's a higher authority than just mom and dad. They have to know that, that everyone in the household is submitted to God. It governs how children should be, obey and how dads and moms should live and raise their kids. Good? Is this helpful? All right. We're going to take a moment to pray. And in the moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to get in groups of three, and we're going to pray. And one of the things we're going to pray is whatever it is that you are worried and upset about, you're going to share that with your group, and then you're going to take turns praying for one another to the right or to the left. And as you pray for each other, we're going to believe for God's peace to come. And this to set up a week of us praying together on the phone three times a day, experience his presence and power, because we don't believe that prayer and fasting one week is to be the only moment that we pray and fast for the entire year. So we're going to continue praying this week as well. And Lord, let this be the culture and climate in our church. Amen. Just before we pray, I want to share one story. Uh, this church was established from Grace Covenant Church in Northern Virginia. Most of you probably know that. We were sent as a team, and there was one couple that, in the second wave, came to be a part of us in the early years of the church. Uh, some of you have been around long enough to remember them. Ernie and Sandy Leonard. Uh, even when they came to us, they were already a gray-haired couple. Um, well-seasoned in life. And um, I, I missed Ernie Leonard's voice. Um, I could spot the gray hair easily on Sundays. In the middle of preaching, he would, uh, 
he would uh, raise his voice while I'm preaching and say, glory to God. And everybody knew it was Ernie Leonard. His precious wife, Sandy, has since gone home to be with the Lord. But I was in a small group in their home one time. And our small groups in this church are called life changers. The reason why they're called life changers is because the moment you connect with Jesus, he changes your life. And the moment you start following Jesus, he changes your life. And I know he's real because I see your changed lives. I know the stories of men and women in this place, and I realize that's not the result of human effort. That's God changing your life. And you have a used-to story. Though we're still far from perfection, we're closer than ever, ever because he is the perfect one. And I remember we were in this small group, Life Changers, and I hope you get in a Life Changers somewhere. Somebody, they meet all during the week. Just ask somebody. Go to the Connection Center outside and say, how do I get in Life Changers? But we were in Ernie's home, and in our small groups, there was four parts to it. The first part is a warm-up question. We wouldn't start our, question, our, our, our small group with prayer or with Scripture because if everyone in the group is a Christian and you invite people who are not followers of God to come into that group, the moment you start with prayer or the moment you start with Scripture, then the person who is unchurched or who doesn't have a relationship with God feels a little... Uh, intimidated. Like, I don't know scripture and I don't know how to pray, so this is going to be awkward for me and I don't know if I want to come back. So to, to embrace everyone, we begin by saying a question. Hey, what do you worry about? See, anybody can answer that question and everybody worries about something. And so in this group with Ernie, that was a question I threw out because I was facilitating. I'm like, what do you worry about? Right? The four-year-old worries about, am I going to get candy? The 14-year-old worries about acne. Oh my God, my face. The 40-year-old worries about retirement and the future. The 70-year-old, I'm not sure. I'm not there yet. I don't know what they worry about, but I know they worry too. But as we went around the table, everybody was talking about what they worried about. And if you're the leader, you have to listen because when the time comes to pray, you want to remember what it was they worried about. So we went from the worry part to the word part, and the word part's just five minutes. And we just came from Matthew 6. It was short and sweet. Jesus talks about, hey, don't worry. Don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious about what you wear, clothing. Don't be anxious about food you eat. The birds of the air, they don't, they, they don't sow or reap. They don't store away in storehouses. They don't have a savings account. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you're far more valuable than birds. And if the birds get fed by God, do you think he's going to let you go hungry? And then people start getting, hey, not many. The D.C. pigeons are eating, guys. Some of you feed them in the park. They're not going hungry. And if God's going to feed a pigeon, you think he won't feed you? Grass grows up today, it's gone tomorrow, and they're clothed. He's going to take care of you. What, what are you worried about? I want you to believe God today to address the worry in your life and what you're bothered about and bring peace and know he's got me, he's got this. And he saw the need before I became aware of the problem. And he also saw the solution. And so then after the word part, we go into application. How will you apply this? And everybody's like, yeah, I'll apply it. I'm not going to worry anymore, man. I'm going to think every time I see a bird, I'm going to know I'm good. He ate today and so did I. And then when we got to pray, we prayed. Now, my prayer for Ernie, because I got to pray for him, was what he had said at the beginning. Ernie said, I'm worried about living to see my children's children. I want to live long enough to see my grandbabies. And I don't know if I will. 
Now that's what he said at the beginning. So 45 minutes later, you don't even remember what you said 45 minutes ago, but you as a facilitator, you remember that because now I remember what he prayed about. So I'm not just going to pray for him to become a great man or pray for this. What am I going to pray for? Long life. And I said, God, it was, it was a conversational prayer. It wasn't this, I'm, Lord, make him a, it was just, God, thank you for your love for Ernie. I pray that you give him long life, that he may live to see his children's children. Let him see his grandchildren. Let him live a long, old, happy life. I was texting with Ernie, and we were just catching up and going back and forth, and it was great. And at some point, he was responding to my text, and this is what he said. Some of you will be able to hear his voice if you remember it. He said, well, I have nine grandchildren, three girls and six boys, ages 7 through 24. The oldest four are in college and doing well. How fast go the years? And I'm 81 and still working at the Federal Aviation Administration. You don't think God hears? You don't think he's concerned? When's the last time you sat down to tell him what you were worried about? Martha, sit down. Sit down out your heart to me. What are you, you worried about your kids? You worried about your future? You, you don't think that God cares? God, don't you care? Don't I care? Why do you think I came to earth? Why do you think I became a human being? You think heaven was boring that I decided to come here? I care. I care for you more than you care for yourself. I care for your family. I care for your future. I care for your history. I care for your line. Now sit down and tell me what you're thinking about, and I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking about. I'm amazed, and I'm in love with the God who heard Ernie Leonard's cry and has answered it. Would you stand with me? God, I thank you. Thank you for teaching us that prayer is not an activity. It's a way of life. It's being with you. And in this moment, I'm thankful that we get to be with you. And we're going to be with you every day together this week, praying together. May we be more ready to listen than to speak. And let we, your followers, hear your word so that as you send us, into a world that is filled with worry and filled with fear. Nations need you. Things burning in Australia. Iranian planes being shot down with civilians. You don't think people are worried? How can we help those who are worried if we ourselves are full of worry? Maybe like Martha, hear you implore us, say, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset and you're bothered about so many things, but really, only one thing is necessary. May we choose like Mary what is better. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church or to watch video sermons, visit gracecovedc.org.